Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week, and we're getting you ready for Eagles Broncos as the Eagle on the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 371. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with my buddy Ben Fennel, where we catch up and empty the notebook a little bit here on the Denver Broncos and exactly what the Eagles will see out in the Rocky Mountains this Sunday, while also talking about some of the rather significant changes we've seen schematically from this Eagles team over the last couple of weeks, really on both sides of the football. After Chalk Talk, we will then transition to Scouting Report, where we focus in on the top pass catcher for this Broncos team, and that is wide receiver Cortland Sutton. And spin it a little bit big picture. We're talking about wide receiver evaluations uh, in the NFL draft, projecting guys from college to the NFL. Then to close out the show in faux focus, I chat with a guy who does outstanding work breaking down this Broncos team and really uh, X's nose from all across the NFL. That's Tim Jenkins. I wanted to catch up with Tim to get his thoughts on this game, and he gives us some great analysis of Denver and the challenge that they're going to present the Eagles in this game. I'm excited for you to hear exactly what Tim thinks about this matchup. Before we get there, though, just a couple of quick things I want to make sure we hit on. Number one, as always, make sure you head on over to our Apple Podcast page. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you've got a question about the Eagles or about uh, the matchup or really anything about this team, an X's and O's standpoint, make sure you go on. Leave us that question in the comment box over on Apple Podcasts. Not only will we answer your question, but it also just gives us a little bit of a boost in the rankings and making it more, avil- more visible to others looking for Eagles podcasts. Appreciate everybody that has taken the time to do that here this season. Also, make sure you go and check out the Journey to the Draft podcast. We are always breaking it down, the top prospects all across the country, who you need to know before next spring. Obviously, the Eagles have the potential to have three first-round picks, so you want to know who all of these top players are. We are talking about it every single week, wherever podcasts can be found on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Let's get this show rolling, though. Excited to start things off with Ben Fennel. It's time for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, let's get things going here with Chalk Talk as I welcome in my friend Ben Fennel. Uh, ben, before we spin this to Eagles Broncos, uh, a couple topics coming out of Eagles Chargers that I wanted to kind of hash out with you. And I think, uh, you know, we spend so much time, you and I have talked about it really a few times over these last couple of weeks, the, the concept of identity on offense and defense. And obviously on offense, we've seen that identity kind of shape over these last two games. When you look at the Detroit Lions, the LA Chargers, what the Eagles have done has been almost a complete 180 from some of the things that they were doing from the first seven games of the season. You talk about uh, the the running rate uh, on not just in past on neutral downs, but uh, on any down, they run more than any team in football, the use of multiple tight end sets, a lot of different metrics that go into it. Um, so I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts because this is something that uh, you've been talking about really going back to the summer about this team. Well, it's kind of funny because we've heard the moniker of, you know, a wise man avoids all extremes throughout most of the year in the summer. And we seemingly have been on the polars of, you know, offensive philosophy of not wanting to run and now running uh, the most in the NFL over the last two weeks. But, you know, running successfully, proving it to be successful, consistently successful. 
then gives you an identity, then gives you something to fall back on and something to, to come out on a drive-to-drive basis and stay on schedule. And then opponents then need to dedicate resources to stopping that thing that you do well, that you've proven to do well, you've consistently done well. And then when they start moving resources around, it makes the other aspects of the offense that much easier to execute. And that's the whole, the run game can open up the pass game. And I think we really saw that the past two weeks against Detroit and against uh, the Los Angeles Chargers. Yeah, I mean, even if you just look at Jalen Hurts' average depth of target over these last two games, it has gone up pretty significantly uh, compared to the first seven weeks because that that play-action pass game, some of those elements, uh, has certainly opened it up from that standpoint. Jalen Hurts has been really efficient as a passer. Uh, I wrote about this uh, extensively in our post-snap read, which you can go find on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. I tweeted it out a couple of times as well. The Eagles have been the most efficient offense on an EPA per play basis over these last two games and EPA uh, expected points added. That's a metric. If you're not familiar with uh, from our listener standpoint, if you're not familiar with that's a, a metric that is pretty widely accepted as a, a really good efficiency metric on both sides of the football, the Eagles have been leading the NFL in EPA per play on offense over these last two games. So, um, you know, it's really interesting just to kind of see that, that change in philosophy uh, on the offensive side of the football we haven't, there hasn't necessarily been as much talk about what the Eagles did defensively in this game, where we saw once again uh, a little bit of a change in the guard, right? We've talked so much about the split safety defenses and heavy zone coverage. Well, the Eagles ran, according to Pro Football Focus, ran more cover one, which is one single high safety man coverage underneath. They ran more cover one than any team in the NFL this past week against the LA Chargers. And so, and they also blitzed at a higher rate than they had at any previous game. So I think just seeing the offense, seeing the defense, trying to change things up, trying to find what works, uh, just kind of interesting to see, to see, obviously this is a young coaching staff uh, in year one of this uh, era here in Philadelphia, interesting as they're trying to find themselves on both sides of the ball. Yeah, and a lot of different ways to play zone coverage, a lot of different ways to play that man coverage, cover one, whether you want to roll down a middle hole play or play off coverage, things like that. I think they're still finding their way and what works best for their personnel and on a week-to-week basis based on the quarterbacks you're facing. And that's just the nature of the NFL. You know, you have to keep kind of seeing what works, what doesn't work, and changing up things uh, because even if you go with a concept that you enjoy or that you feel is effective and you can execute consistently – Every defense has a flaw and offensives get paid a lot during the week to find those flaws and attack those flaws. So I think it's just continuing to be multiple, continuing to have different ways to approach opposing offenses and trying just to find what works best for you. Yeah, it's the, as you said, there is no perfect defense. You know, I think a lot of fans uh, would point to, oh, you know, they need to play more man coverage. Oh, they need to, they need to blitz more. Well, the Eagles gave up plays in man coverage this week. They got they gave up plays where they were blitzing, right? So uh, cer- certainly some things to fine tune, but there is just no uh, magic bullet to say like, okay, like this is the answer. Uh, you just have to really kind of fine tune things. And you know, Greg and I talked about this the other day. It's something you and I talked about extensively while watching the film. Just the difference between good completions you're allowed to give up, bad completions. I always think back to really the the first conversations you and I had back in January here on this podcast about hey, th- th- this is going to be the the defensive philosophy going back and watching those Colts teams uh, the, that defense over the last couple of years that Jonathan Gannon was a part of, you're going to give up a lot of completions, but what is it about? It's about impacting the catch point, uh, making sure obviously you're not allowing yards after catch, but also creating some big plays, creating some negative plays. And, and that is an area, obviously the Eagles have to get better at as well. 
Yeah, and I think there's some frustration with the, the loose coverage on the outside and quarterbacks that are willing to take the underneath and intermediate throws have been successful, you know, and it's easy to point to the Derek Carrs and Justin Herberts and good quarterbacks against this defense. A lot of fans are saying, what can we do? You can maybe change some of your pre- and post-snap looks a little more aggressively, spinning and rotating coverage, just to not give them that, that same picture. Whatever they thought they were going to go to pre-snap maybe isn't there post-snap. You can buzz passing lanes, just like moving those players post-snap, zone blitzes, guys you know, changing and moving after the snap. And then that man coverage. You can press and maybe be up, disrupt at the line of scrimmage, disrupting in the route, maybe allowing those guys to get home just an extra second or two could be the difference. So there's a lot of things. All those concepts have flaws as well. So just as much as you want to change things, they can attack those changes too. Yeah, it's something we'll continue to watch uh, with this defense. And again, uh, everybody uh, just trying to figure out what is it, what's the best formula uh, on both sides of the football. And certainly we're talking about the defense. They're still trying to figure out what is it that we want to be? What is it that we want to do? What do we need to do? Uh, Some of the injuries they've had on that side of the ball, still trying to get all of that sorted out. So uh, let's now spin this forward to Eagles Broncos here in week 10, Ben. And and we spent a lot of time this week already uh, producing Eagles game plan, which uh, fans will be able to go and find Friday uh, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile channel, our digital channels. You'll find that everywhere. Where uh, I feel pretty good about where we are this week in terms of the production. I feel like this is going to be a really good show. A lot of information, a lot of analysis crammed into this. And we'll start with the the matchup of the Eagles offense against the Broncos defense. And uh, really just watching that Broncos defense, we wanted to hone in on Vic Fangio and the disguise element. You know, something you were just talking about, uh, the, all the different looks that can change from pre-snap to post-snap. They're not major. They're not, they're, they're not wholesale differences, but those subtle changes that can really change the picture for the quarterback, that's something we wanted to harp on here uh, in this show. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Denver is 5-4. and four. This is a really good football team. They may be sitting at the bottom of this competitive AFC West, But their formula and philosophy of playing tight defense, stingy defense, getting after opposing quarterbacks, creating turnovers, and running the football, that's a formula that travels well. It works well late into the season. It's interchangeable when you have some injuries, like they've gone through on both sides of the ball. Seemingly everybody has in the NFL. But when you have a really good basic philosophy, it allows you to be interchangeable when things go wrong or you have some injuries. I just think they have a very sustainable formula. I love their defense. I don't think their defense and what Vic Fangio has done from last year to this year is really being noticed. And, you know, you know, their points per game, obviously, second in the NFL allowed. But the improvement, they allowed nearly 28 points per game last year. So they went and they addressed it in uh, the draft and got Patrick Sertan. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like we'll be seeing him on Sunday. But they have a veteran experience back end. They have some exciting players in the front seven. And they're really kind of moving in the right direction. It's crazy. They're five and four and sitting in last place of the AFC West. It's a really fun division this year. No doubt. And that's why I did want to ask you just about, you know, you and I spent a lot of time uh, watching this Broncos defense, not just this week, but uh, late last week as well. No Von Miller. Obviously, they trade Von Miller at the trade deadline. Bradley Chubb has been injured for most of the year. Uh, You talk about how Patrick Sertan just got hurt in this game. So when it pertains to Sunday in this matchup, who are some defenders that Eagles fans should be watching out for on that side of the football? Well, on the back end, there's a lot of experience. Our old friend Ronald Darby, Kyle Fuller, you know, Kareem Jackson have played a lot of football justin simmons is one of the more young exciting safeties in this league right up there with jesse bates and kevin byard and kind of right there with making a huge splash and making a name for himself and joining the elite safeties the front sevens all over the place 
They got guys coming in through trades like Kenny Young and Stephen Weatherly. They sent Von Miller out, but they have some young, exciting guys. Pay attention to number 53, Jonathan Cooper off the edge, rookie from Ohio State. Tore up the preseason, is productive every time he's on the field. Von Miller's now out in Los Angeles. Jonathan Cooper looks the part out there. So it's a weird time sometimes when you don't have those stud names. But, Fran, that just means an opportunity for a young guy to put himself in that category. And Jonathan Cooper seems like he's right there for making himself a, a national name. And this game is one of those where it's like, all right, we don't we don't want this game to be the one where every, now everyone knows who Jonathan Cooper is. Right, yeah. uh, I will say, I mean, last week against Dallas, he had two sacks. Uh, rookie seventh-round pick from Ohio State. Um, he was kind of an interesting career there because he was one of the top defensive, defensive end recruits in the entire country coming out of high school. He was a five-star kid. He was the blue-chip player. Uh, was banged up for a large majority of his career. Nothing, like, super serious, if I don't remember, if I remember correctly. But uh, whenever he was out there, he became kind of a role player. He obviously so they've always had really good defensive linemen. So he was like a backup to Chase Young. He backed up the Bosa's. He was there through all of that, but uh, has been a productive player when on the field. You know, and some of the young guys they brought in this year, Jonathan Cooper, Ohio State, <clears throat> Baron Browning, Ohio State, Patrick Sertan, Alabama. They're getting some elite guys from elite programs that are used to winning. And I think it's really becoming infectious on there. And, you know, Baron Browning's playing some good ball for them. I'd hate for him to have his coming out party against the Eagles and, you know, making a big play in the run or having a pick six. These guys are all right there with being young breakout players. Yeah, it's something uh, you know, when you talk about trends like that, it's something we talk about a lot over on the Journey to the Draft podcast when it comes to team building philosophy, looking around at different clubs and uh, what exactly they do when they go about uh, collecting players and picking players in the NFL draft. Let's go to the other side of the football. Uh, Eagles defense versus the Broncos offense. And I think when studying this Broncos offense, look, we talked about it earlier this week, this week with Greg uh, here on the show. Uh, it centers around the run game, uh, and Javante Williams is a big part of that, the rookie second-round pick out of North Carolina. Obviously, Melvin Gordon gets plenty of, of run as well. Um, both guys uh, just downhill, make you miss in lots of different ways. I mean, Javante Williams is just so hard to get to the ground. That same style that we saw last year at North Carolina where he's just making – guys are bouncing off him consistently on all of these run plays. He has carried that over to the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've all been impressed with Derrick Henry's yards after contact and making defenders miss. Now that Henry's been out with that injury, I mean, the guys like Javante Williams and Nick Chubb and Jonathan Taylor are all kind of gaining ground on the yards after contact. And Javante Williams the past two weeks, three weeks, oof, that's a lot of what he did at North Carolina, running through arm tackles, just making defenders absolutely pay, whether it's, you know, defensive ends, linebackers, safety. You need to rally to him. You need to have committee tackling with this guy. And I love, Fran, the Broncos commit and lean on the run game. This is their identity. This isn't a wrinkle in their offense. Teddy Bridgewater's under center, handing that ball off quite a bit. Then he takes some plays in his opportunities off play action. And when he does have to get in the straight drop back game, makes very, very good decisions. Plays with great anticipation. We know Teddy's a veteran player, knows where to go with the football. Has some limitations athletically, arm strength. But he knows who he is at this point. He is an excellent, excellent game manager. And this Broncos team doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes on offense. They're going to kind of wait for you to make the mistake. And if you just sit back, he's going to pick you apart just like uh, the other quarterbacks did. 
Yeah, and I, you know, I think we all kind of think of Teddy Bridgewater as hey, that he's just going to work underneath, work underneath, work underneath. Certainly, he will do that. But we have to remember uh, that this is a team that I believe at this point now, after week ten or after week nine, ranks fourth in the NFL in deep pass attempts down the field. And they're like calculated concepts, you know. They're you know two through the zone and some play action stuff. And it's not like hey, I'm just going to rip it and try to get it into this window or let Cortland Sutton. It's one on one. I'm just going to throw it up. It's pretty deliberate pass concepts, and that's that's where Teddy's at his best. So you've looked through a lot of numbers. You obviously crunch a lot of data for us looking at some of the analytics. Uh, is there a, one number that you think stands out most to you for this matchup? Well, I, I highlighted earlier the points per game. Denver's allowing second in the NFL, 17 points per game. Really impressive. Huge improvement from last year, allowing 27.9, nearly 13 points different at this point. But we want to talk about Vic Fangio and their defense, Fran. And you hear a lot about single high, two highs becoming really popular, coverage disguise. Vic Fangio is a through-and-through, two-high defense. He lines up in two-high pre-snap 75% of the time. That's the second-highest in the NFL. Loves to show the open middle field coverage and then move off of that. He likes to give you the same look every time, but post-snap is not always the same. Pre-snap, he wants to be very stale, very boring, not give away what he's doing. And then post-snap, it can be anything. So I just love to give you that same boring look every time. And then he could rotate a safety down. He could stay in too high. He could play cover two. He could play quarters. can roll into cover three. I think last week we saw a really impressive interception rolling down one of those safeties into the box that Greg Cosell broke down on Eagles game plan. So really fun defense on the back end and their experience. I know Caden Stearns had that interception, Fran. But there's like some guys we had mentioned earlier, like Darby and Kareem Jackson, guys that have been around this league for close to 10 years. Yeah, and that's the thing is when you talk about the disguise element, uh, you know, it's a lot easier for the defense to start too high and roll to one as opposed to the opposite. That's where, you know, certainly you'll throw around a lot when we're watching some big plays given up around the NFL is disguising yourself out of coverage. If you start in one of those one high looks and now you've got safeties flying to the deep path from underneath, yeah, teams do it and it's a good way to throw a quarterback off, but it's a lot harder for a guy to get, you know, if you're playing eight yards off the ball, now you got to sprint across the field and get 25 five yards deep uh that, that that can be a little bit more difficult when you start in a too high shell and now you wrote down right rotate down and you spin out of that now you always have eyes on the football you're always attacking towards the line of scrimmage and uh that's something we saw more of from the eagles defense uh here this week as i mentioned and playing a little playing more single high than anybody uh in the nfl in terms of a single high man coverage um but still starting from some of those too high looks so again uh, just seeing how these defenses are trying to deploy their personnel. Uh, really, really interesting. It's something Fangio has always done wherever he's been, uh, whether it's San Francisco, Chicago, uh, all these last these last few stops has been really good at. Um, any individual matchups before we uh, wrap the segment up? Individual matchup that stands out to you? Yeah, Fran. I mean, my game ball the past two weeks on the Eagles defense has gone to undrafted free agent TJ Edwards, who's mm. just been an absolute stud at linebacker. Well, Javante Williams, we just talked about his ability to break tackles. T.J. Edwards loves making those tackles, putting his face in the ball carrier, not only downhill, but sideline to sideline as well. T.J. Edwards is a tackling machine. He thumps you on contact. I think it's kind of style versus style here with him and Javante Williams meeting in the hole a couple times. So I want to see who comes out on top there. 
Yeah, for me, I'll go into the trenches. And, you know, Quinn Miners is a guy you and I both liked uh, in this draft class as a rookie from Wisconsin Whitewater. He'll be getting the start this week, his first NFL start at right guard. Uh, Graham Glasgow, the starting right guard before uh, he is out with an injury. So uh, Quinn Miners will get his first start, and he'll see a lot of Fletcher Cox in this game. So uh, keep an eye out for that matchup. I do think one big key for the Eagles is trying to find way, force Teddy Bridgewater to hold on to the football. We mentioned how they will attack downfield. Try and find different ways for him to be able to hold the football. Uh, don't let that ball get out so fast. Now give that defensive line time to be able to get home. So something big uh, to watch here in this game. Ben, let's, we, got, we got a little bit more out of you here on this one. We're going to now transition to uh, our scouting report. We're going to break down Denver wide receiver, Cortland Sutton. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, Ben, let's dig into Cortland Sutton here. 2018, second-round pick out of SMU. Really interesting profile when he was coming out. This is a big kid who moves pretty well. He was really productive. Uh, interested to kind of get your notes and how you viewed him coming into the league, uh, and then we'll get into what we've seen from him since he's been in the NFL. Yeah, really quick, coming out of SMU down there in the south, 6'3", 218, ran 4'5", but his production while he was down there was out of this world for him. 3,000 yards, nearly 200 catches, 31 touchdowns, a lot of 50-50 wins, a lot of body control, tracking, adjustments on the catch point, and just love his competitive nature, whether you know we had mentioned after the catch, at the catch point. But as a blocker, just hustling away from the ball in the run game, things like that. And I kind of like the fact that Franny wasn't an elite athlete, but he knew it. And he knew that in order to separate, he had to be crafty. He had to change up paces in his routes and things like that. Um, but that was the question mark with him. Does he have the explosive you know, level to win vertically in the NFL? Does he do enough in route running to separate in the NFL? Is he twitchy enough? Is he good enough athletes or is hips loose enough? Can he beat press coverage? Didn't see a lot of press coverage down there. That was the big question. Well. That was a big, big question. Yep. Saw a lot of off coverage, which he's allowed to then build that speed up a little bit, threaten corners vertically just based on their eating up that cushion and the separation. And then some of those smaller defensive backs, he just won above the rim which we all know those 50-50 balls in the NFL slowly become 80-20s or whatever you want to call it. They're just not as efficient translating. But he's been a guy that's really impressed me uh, with his play in the past three years with the Denver Broncos and in his ability to win those contested catches. He's really been able to translate that skill set, and it's not easy to do. The corners are bigger, taller, longer, faster, more competitive in the NFL that rarely translates but uh he's really impressed me and with a variety of quarterbacks throwing him the ball in Denver sure. he's been he's been pretty productive and pretty consistent of a player out there yeah I mean a lot of people were expecting big things out of him going into his third year last year and then he tore his ACL in week one so we didn't get a, a get a chance to see that third year jump that you often see from young wide receivers uh and so we saw him now this year and he's been their leading receiver he's been really consistent outside the numbers uh we've talked about what they'll do with him vertically they're not afraid to just throw him fades and say go be a ball winner outside the numbers that, that has been uh his game but he could still create separation uh a really interesting player and I think when you look about uh, I look at wide receiver from a big picture standpoint and draft value and things of that nature who can be a quote-unquote number one receiver I think it's that ability to win at all three levels and I I think Sutton has flashed the ability to win at all three levels of the field. You know, and Fran, let me ask you a question. What trait do you think is harder to develop? Let's say you're great at the catch point, contested catches, strong hands, but you struggle with separation. Or is it the guys that separate really well that maybe don't have the size of the frame or can get knocked off routes or maybe struggle to make that catch with a corner on their back at the next level? The contested catches or the route running? What would you prefer your receiver to come with 
and then saying we need to develop the other side of that. Well, I would ask you one clar- one moment of uh, clarification from you. When you talk about the the catch point stuff, are you talking to about ball skills in general yeah. or just yeah, that ability can... or the contested catch element? Let's make it ball skills in general. Okay. Make it a, a wide umbrella here. Got it. So I actually ask wide receivers this all the time. Like anytime I talk to, whether it's a current receiver, a guy who retired and, you know, played in the league a long time, love asking questions like this. And almost universally, every one of them will say it is much harder to develop better ball skills and the ability to finish at the catch point. Uh, you know, it's, that is a, almost an innate skill, not just not hands, not drops. Those things can be corrected. There are things that you can work on uh, with your catching technique and things like that. That's stuff that, that can be fixed, but how you address the football, how you play it in the air, how you adjust to it mid flight, how you attack it and finish it. That is more of an innate, innate trait. Whereas route running is a skill and that's something that you can hone in and develop. Now, if you don't have the quickness and the suddenness, the ability to get in and out of breaks, now it's a little bit tougher to teach. You can still do it though. We see plenty of guys in the NFL that aren't the, the fastest or the quickest that are still really good route runners and create separation. So, um, you know, I think when you look at a guy like Sutton, that's what makes it so exciting because it's like, all right, well, this guy, he's a big body threat and he can still move pretty well. And we're seeing the flashes as a route runner. That's what gets you really uh, juiced up. Yeah, it's really well said. And just for the perspective, we would love for every prospect coming out of college to be perfect and to be able to do everything great. But these are the conversations that go down in draft rooms. And when you're stacking your board and things we talk about on the Journey to the Draft podcast are when he's not perfect, what trait and value do you see over another trait? And if yep. you have to improve an area, would you rather you know improve area A or area B? And every player is different. And it's really fun to kind of dive into the pros and cons of players and the development and potential development and what skills are they bringing that you know that they have. And it's a really fun uh, discussion. Yeah, no doubt. And it's something we talk about a lot over on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Well, Ben, uh, speaking of journey, make sure you go check out our discussion this week. We're breaking down Dane Brugler's top, uh, new top 50, his big board. We've got matchups to watch here this week in college football. We'll be doing it all right over on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Until that, uh, Ben, we will talk to you next week right here on uh, Chalk Talk on the Eagle Island Sky podcast. Great stuff from Ben, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show. But the best way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, or even leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout out today to someone who did exactly that. Michael went onto our Apple Podcast page and left a five-star review saying, uh, Fran, it has been much has been made over how the Eagles cornerbacks play a little bit too far off the receivers and that they need to press and be more aggressive. From my observations, it appears that their alignment is not that much different than other teams. In fact, checking back to Jim Schwartz's defense in the Super Bowl year, he mostly played Jalen Mills and Ronald Darby five to eight yards off the wide receivers. What do you think? So, Michael, it's a good question. And look, I think just like everything else, when you look at press coverage and that, that alignment and getting guys up in, in receivers' faces, there are pros and cons to it. And to me, it's, it all becomes situational. Uh, and, and that's where I think when you look at it, on a third and eight, when the ball's likely to come out, if you're sending, let's say you're sending a pressure on third and eight, that ball's going to come out fast. You want your corners in that sense 
to be playing from depth because now that ball is going to come out quite fast. Let's go up and make the tackle. We saw that a couple weeks ago. We highlighted it on Eagles game plan uh, with Darius Slay, right? It was a, it was a, actually it was a second down blitz. The Eagles were in second and 12 on defense and the, the they sent a cover zero blitz at Jared Goff. All the corners are playing off. You're playing from depth. That ball comes out fast. It gets thrown to the flat. Darius Slay comes up and makes the tackle. Now it's third and eight, and the Eagles get off the field on the next play, right? So there's always pros and cons to playing off and playing press. There are plenty of times where you're playing press and you get beat over the top. There are all these different techniques and all the different tools at your disposal to make sure that you mitigate some of the negatives on any given play. So I don't think the answer is like, oh, the Eagles need to play more press. That's uh, that's that's what needs to happen. The percentages need to go up in press coverage. That's never the answer. It, that To me, like it, to say that with an oversweeping judgment, I, I think that's a little unfair to say. What I would say is in specific situations, you have to look at, okay, what are the things that you can do to help a corner that's in off coverage? Do we need to push guys up to help the defensive line get home, to make the quarterback hold things? Are there things that you can do from a coverage standpoint? If you're going to play zone coverage, can you do things from those underneath defender standpoint where, hey, look, the corners, they're all dropping out to play cover three or they're playing quarters in the outside, something where they've got to drop off and play with depth. Okay, well, who are the players that are playing underneath then? Are the safeties playing underneath? Are the nickel corners, the linebackers, do they need to buzz out faster? Does their alignment need to change? There are lots of different things uh, that all work into the machinations of those coverages. So to your point, yes, and I remember because obviously I was doing this podcast at that point, there were plenty of games where fans and media would say, well, how come these corners aren't playing uh, press coverage? And going back to, I remember the, the the Chip Kelly defenses under Bill Davis. How come they're not playing more press coverage? And then you'd have corners come up and play press, and what happens? Now they're getting beat over the top, and you say, well, how, how come these corners keep getting beat over the top? Well, there's Again, there's pluses and minuses to everything in football. That's one of the things I love most about the sport. So, Michael, it's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. Uh, and it's funny. While you while I was answering the question, I actually went back and just looked at some of the numbers. This year, so in 2021, the Eagles ranked 29th in the NFL in press coverage percentage. So the percentage of snaps where the defense is in press coverage. Right? So they rank 29th in the NFL. When you go back to the year they won the Super Bowl, the Eagles ranked 30th in press percentage, right? So that doesn't necessarily mean that all, oh, you know, that, that's a, that's a key to the, you're only going to win games if you play a lot of press man coverage and uh, without having the time to necessarily run some, uh, some charts or anything. My guess is there's a lot of correlations between the amount of press coverage you play versus the amount of big plays that you will let up. And that's a, that's a conversation for another day. But Michael, like I said, uh, great question. Appreciate, appreciate you asking it. Thanks so much for the support uh, going on and leaving that question on our Apple podcast page. Now we talked with Ben earlier. I've read for we're going to close out the show with Tim Jenkins. It's time for that conversation now. Let's get into Faux Focus. What's this matchup look like from the other side? It's time to find out in Faux Focus. We're really psyched this week to welcome in for Faux Focus on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, Tim Jenkins. You can follow on Twitter at T Jenkins Elite. Tim, uh, thanks for joining us here this week on the show to break down this Denver Broncos team and this matchup against the Eagles. I appreciate it, man. It got a lot, uh, a lot more exciting. I think last week with the Broncos beating the Cowboys because that was uh, highly unexpected. I think yeah. all over the NFL, <laughs> it uh, it definitely gave me a little bit of juice because I was a little worried coming into the week. Like, all right, how am I going to frame this matchup for fans for uh, some of the shows that we produce? And they they go out and put a, a hammer on the Cowboys. I'm like, all right. The Eagles, the Eagles fans, they don't need to uh, be convinced. This will be a fun matchup here to break down. So uh, I want to get ask you this. So start things off. I'm going to ask you to put on your Pat Shermer hat, of uh, a coach that Eagles fans are very familiar with. Uh, what is your what is the biggest strength 
for this Broncos team entering the game on offense? If you're Pat Shermer, what gives you the most confidence in your ability to win this game on Sunday? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, they're they're starting to run the ball well. The Javante Williams kid, I think, is a he's a kid who I think brings dynamic playmaking ability at the running back spot because he's, you know, there's they're just handing off inside zone and the dude's got, like, someone in the hole and then all of a sudden it's 14 yards, right? It's it's the old Barry Sanders deal. Like, you just leave someone on block because that's Barry's guy, right? I'm not saying right. the kid's obviously Barry Sanders, but he's, he's just making people miss and extend the play. And then Melvin Gordon is a touchdown machine. So I think when you look at the run game, if I'm Pat Shermer, that's making me excited because now it's helping with the run action where you see Teddy, you know, they're selling hard power. They're selling hard inside zone. And then now with Jerry Judy back, they're hitting all those deep overs and those deep posts that they were really hitting early in the season when this offense looked dynamic. And then obviously they lost Jerry and KJ. And then now that, you know, Jerry Judy's back, I do think that's going to give him a lot of confidence going to this game because now it's, it's, it's so tough for your defense because now if you're going to just go ahead and spin down and play man against the Broncos, you really have to worry about who do I have matched up on Jerry Judy. And then, okay, if I have them matched up and I bracket, now who do I have for Cortland Sutton? So I do think that you're, you're going to kind of force teams into playing too high a little bit more um, with him back. So I do think he's probably got a little bit of confidence there. And then the fact that when teams spin back, they can run it. So if I'm Pat Shermer, that's kind of where I'd be my mindset would be is, hey, we're going to run it if they're in too high. And if they spin down, we're going to try to get Jerry on a matchup. And that's the thing is that when you look across the formation, the, the Broncos do have a lot of players that have that ability to win one-on-one. And you mentioned Sutton. You mentioned Judy at the tight end position. Uh, we'll see if Noah Fant is available for this game. But Alperin Okwebunam is another player that has that ability to be a matchup piece. Uh, and another guy that I wanted to ask you about, uh, Tim Patrick, who um, – yeah. look at Look, I watched last year after Sutton went down, just watching all of his targets uh, as the season went on last year really stood out to me. And so when they had injuries in the receiving core again this year, I was not shocked to see him continue to produce. Interesting to kind of get your thoughts on Patrick and his development because uh, he's a guy that's going to be hitting the free agent market here this spring. Yeah, so Tim Patrick was a dude that when I was watching the preseason, so I'm a huge KJ Hamler fan. I don't know what it is about the kid, but it's like, man, every time I turn on the film, there's he just runs past people. As an old quarterback who like, wasn't very great. It was nice to have guys <laughs> wide open. You know what I mean? So it's like every time I turn on the field, but Tim Patrick's a guy that at the beginning of the season, you were sitting there thinking, how are they going to get him in? Like It, it just, it didn't make sense because sure. you have Al, you have Alberto, you have fans. So it's like, I'm not going to get out of 11 or 12. So it was hard to say like, how are we going to get him in now? He's just, he's tearing it up. The stutter and go that they hit against Dallas. I mean, that was, it was a great route. Hey, you know, he did the stutter part well and then took off, but that catch, when you're tracking something over your shoulder with tight man coverage, like that's insane. Like people don't give, you know, credit to receivers when they do that enough. So that was the unreal catch. I think he's, he's really good because he's flexible. You don't have to play him at X or Z. You can bump Mm -hmm. him inside and he can do some of that over deep over stuff that they do either off a run action or the boot stuff. So I do think Tim Patrick's a guy that it's another matchup nightmare. And I, and I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the Broncos get into – we did it in St. Louis when I was there. Was some We called it Ot one where it's like, hey, we have no running backs, but we have tight end, no fan, and then four receivers. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to see them getting into that or or Ot two a little bit where it's like, hey, we're going to go empty for a play and, and force you kind of into more of a traditional nickel or base because you do have the two tight ends. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with him. But I do think Tim Patrick's another guy that you got to keep your eye on. And it's just – they're a tough coverage matchup. And I think that's why they can run the ball effectively. Cause I think you look at the weapons and you go, let's not give up. Let's not give up a touchdown in one play. Let's make them, you know, grind it out. But it's just tough. It's a tough, 
when you go across, like you're saying, and you go, hey, guy by guy, you got to hope you have enough cover guys for all these dudes. Yeah, I mean, people would not make this comparison lightly, but I think when you look at the way that the Chargers have used Mike Williams this year, and he's been extremely productive, but you know that that position flex to be able to slide him inside and, and run some vertical-ish routes with him. Uh, the Eagles saw that last week, that 49-yard completion of Mike Williams. That came with him from a, a reduced split, and the, and the Broncos do uh, a decent amount of that with Tim Patrick and certainly with Corton Sutton as well. Uh, let's go over to the other side of the football, and I'll ask you to put on your Ed Donatel hat. Uh, as a defensive coordinator, what is the biggest strength of this defense going into the game obviously down some horses on both ends of the spectrum here up front and on the back end but what gives you the most confidence in your ability to get a w here this week yeah i mean uh, linebacker spots the issue i think for denver right because they just been a they've been decimated by injuries what i'll tell you when you look at the cowboys tape in a vacuum the physicality that they played with when they got in a single high coverage was insane like you hadn't seen that all year and they played a decent amount of like one cross or one hole really whatever you want to call it where it's really man underneath and they have some extra robber guys what I, the worry though when you're going to play the eagles i think and i've watched a ton of eagles tape because i'm fascinated by jalen hurts the the issue is you can't play man because you don't i mean everybody knows this you don't want to turn your back to a mobile quarterback right so sure. you play go ahead and you play cover one and they just run four verts and then all of a sudden he gets loose for 20 like that's way worse than playing zone and letting someone sit down in a hole and gashing you for eight so to me, it's like we saw a ton of cover one against the Cowboys. I have a hard time believing they're going to do that against the Eagles. I think they're going to get back to that traditional, that cover six, where cover it's six, hey, cover seven, two yep. to one side and then quarters to the other. Yep. I, I, I think they're going to run a ton of that against the Eagles. I, it just to me, it's like, again, though, the, like you were saying, the Eagles are running the ball better. So if they're running the ball better and now I'm sitting in cover six quarters, at least my safeties are going to get downhill a little bit more, but then you're susceptible to some of the run action stuff. It's tough to figure out what you're going to do. I think honestly, though, if I'm them coming in, I'm, I'm going to run a bunch more cover six. Mm. I'm, going to, I'm going to free up my safeties a little bit. And I'm going to say, hey, I need you to get downhill and get in the alley. And then if all of a sudden they hit you with a run action or two, they hit you with it. But hopefully you have someone who can make a tackle and, and prevent them from scoring and then you're back into it. So that's kind of, I think, what you have to do against Jalen Hurts. I do think if you go cover one, it's because you're thinking we're going to get pressure on him and we're going to give up one or two big scrambles, but we're going to force a mistake. And, and mm-hmm. if they do that, now you can kind of shift. So I think we're going to find out on series one what their mindset is. Are they thinking, hey, let's sit back and make them beat us with his arm? Or are they going to try to pressure him and, and see if they can force a mistake? It's, I think it's going to be clear as day on that first snap what what they think of Philadelphia's offense. Sure, it's something to watch uh, early on in this game. And the Broncos have done a little bit of everything here this year. They're high up there in pressure rate, but last week against Dallas, they didn't blitz as often. Uh, as you mentioned there, they changed some things up going up against Dak Prescott with the calf injury. And, you know, maybe they said, oh, well, we're not worried about him uh, breaking the pocket on us so much uh, in this game. I do want to ask you about a lot of young players playing for this Denver defense at all three levels, a lot of rookies, a lot of second-year guys. Is there one guy in particular that's really kind of caught your eye? You're like, all right, this is a guy I think has the ability to develop into a quality piece moving forward? I think the obvious one is the Sertan kid, right? Like, I think anytime sure. you come in and you play corner in the NFL and you can cover people, you should be pretty excited because it's, uh, I think that that's become one of the harder positions to play because there's not as much like simplified, like, hey, just cover him, right? Like it used yep. to be back in the day. Now it's like, hey, I need you to read through this guy and then decide because everyone's gashing people with the stuff where it's like, I'm going to run this guy all the way across the field. So you got to spin back and then account for him. So I think he's been impressive. 
you know, uh, and then he's not a younger guy, but then I think Simmons still, every time you turn on the tape and you watch him play safety, it's like he goes and he makes plays that he's not supposed to be there. Right. And he goes and makes the play. And I think that's where, you know, when you're Jalen hurts and you're studying these guys, right. It's, Every time I was in a meeting room, what you wanted was you wanted people in the spots they're supposed to be in because then, you know, okay, hey, I'm going to put my eyes here and I'm going to get back to this guy. When you go and play guys like Simmons or you go and play some of these safeties that are that they they go and they make plays based on the structure of the play. It's a nightmare. It's like because, hey, I'm going to put my eyes here and then you flip back and you're like, he's not supposed to be there. Right. I remember when I was in St. Louis, we go and play Seattle all the time. And Earl Thomas was that dude. Where it's like they're in cover three and all of a sudden he's on the freaking boundary making a play, right? And it's like you're not supposed to be on the other side. So I do think it's one of those things that that every time you turn on the tape, Simmons is a kid that obviously is going to show up. And and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting, the matchup with the secondary, because the secondary struggled a little bit going into the Dallas game. But it seems like something clicked in the Dallas game. So I do think that's kind of the most exciting thing to watch this week. If you're Vic Fangio coming into this and looking at both sides of the football, what, what is the biggest concern in this matchup for the Broncos? Jalen Hurts. To me, yeah. the biggest concern is is containing him. And I and I know, you know, one of my good buddies is a Doyle Bowe is a great, a huge Eagles fan. And I know there's like a lot of turmoil right now. Is he good or is he bad? He's just dynamic. Every time I turn on the tape, like there's definitely plays where I'm like, listen, I've got you know college kids that are reading that concept better. There's no doubt that that shows up on the film. But there's not a lot of dudes who all of a sudden it breaks down. I extend the play and I throw a 40 yard ball on the run, right? Like it just like there's stuff where he flashes. And to me, those guys can change the game. That's why that's why Philadelphia is probably frustrating to be a fan of because you go and you win games you're not supposed to win or you keep games close that aren't supposed to be close because he can go and elevate. And then it's like you all of a sudden drop a game to some team that it's like, how do we lose to them? And I think that's where you sit there. But that's the kid that I would be most stressed about. I think. Everywhere else, there's good players, but you can account for them or you've seen guys like it. The Broncos haven't played a quarterback this year that are that's like Hurts, where to mm. me, Hurts is because he's more powerful than Lamar, right? Yep. He's, he's not as fast as Lamar. But like last time they played Lamar and, and Ravens, they got gashed. So to me, it's like that mobile guy. I just think the matchup's a lot tougher on Denver than than kind of Dak was where you knew where he was going to be, obviously the cat, the, the calf limited him, but I do think that's where I'd be sitting there going, okay, this is what we've got to, this is the X factor of this game. Is there a, a specific matchup, a, a one-on-one battle or, or something on either side of the ball that you're most uh, interested in that you feel is most pivotal here in this game? Yeah. So there's a schematic. I, I don't know if it's a true matchup, but the scheme that I'm most excited is the Broncos move Jerry Judy around last week against Dallas more than I'd seen him do all year. They would put him in the slot and motion him across to the single receiver yeah. or not the single, but the outside guy, or they start him as outside guy and then motion him inside to bunch. They forced a lot of like bunch and stack checks, meaning like they start in not stack, right. And they motion to stack. So they force you to, Hey, you got to check it. It's not going to be something okay. you can yep. line up in and pre-do. I'm interested to see what Philly's adjustment is because they gashed Dallas with it. Because Dallas, you know, Banjo, right, like the in-and-out coverage, they gashed Dallas. Dallas was, like, miscommunicating that left and right. So Philly's obviously all week saying, let's not give up a big play because we don't have the right check-in against Bunch. So I'm really interested to see schematically what that check is and then how they handle Jerry Judy 
because the Broncos do a ton of where they go like 12 personnel, so two tight ends, but two tight ends to one side, and they bring that receiver over and get in those slot formations. So I'm interested to see what they do with their corner, if they bring the corner over or if they sit back and kind of man it or zone it kind of on, you know, on sides rather than bringing it corner over. So that to me is going to be the most pivotal matchup into stopping the Broncos offense is, hey, what are their bunch and stack checks? And then how do they handle those slot formations? Because if they handle them well, they're going to, I mean, the Broncos are going to score 14 points at most if they handle it well. And then if they don't, they could very well go for 30 again. And that's one of those things as an offensive coordinator, you know, Pat Sherman, you're likely to incorporate some of those in that open fifth on that opening 15, right? Just to get a yeah. sense of, hey, this, this is what they did. This is how they checked to it. Now you're setting something up for a little bit later to say, hey, let's see what their check is. Then if they go this way, we'll, we'll call these kinds of plays. If they go that way, then we've got this in our back pocket as well, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the script is here. I mean, that's why I lose my mind when it's like, hey, we're in stagnant formations and scripted 15. It's like, why? Let's figure out how the heck they're going to line up and adjust it. I mean, they did it to Dallas. They motioned Judy from really three by one to two by two, and they ran this deep spear concept, and it was wide open. Teddy didn't throw it. He ended up having to get off it and get to a check down. And then the next time, they just lined up in the formation, so it looks slightly different, but they ran the same place. So I do think they'll do a lot of it in the first 15 to find – or. I should say, hopefully they'll do a lot of it in the first 15. Because <laughs> if they don't, then the narrative in Denver is just going to be again, hey, let's fire Pat Shermer like it was two weeks ago. Now he's now he's good. So we'll see what, what ends up actually shaking out. Yeah, it's especially interesting. And I, it's funny you mentioned it because it was something I took note of while watching the film uh, this week. I mean, the Broncos coming in, they were 32nd in the league in terms of bunch formation percentage. They weren't. It wasn't necessarily a big part of the offense. Now, they, they did a lot more here in this game. And so I, I did think that that was interesting. And obviously, it was a really important tool for them in that win against Denver. Uh, Tim, this has been awesome. Really appreciate you jumping on with us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We will uh, definitely be talking again in the future, having some big picture uh, quarterback conversations as well. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Great stuff there from Tim Jenkins. Glad I was able to catch up with him for this week's show. Last thing, we talked about Eagles game plan earlier with Ben Fennel, where, as always, I've got some leftovers, some of the clips that uh, I left on the cutting room floor as I was editing Eagles game plan down to the 30-minute show. We had a longer shoot, so we're going to always save some of that extra analysis right for you guys here on the podcast. Let's get into some notes here from John Clark, Ike Reese, Mike Quick, and, of course, from Greg Cosell. Let's get to this week here from Eagles game plan. And we're talking about the Eagles running game a lot because of the way they're running it. Only the Cowboys in the NFC are running the ball better than the Eagles this year, and now they're doing it in numbers. And when you add Jalen Hurts in and the way he's running the ball, how much of a challenge is that for the Broncos' defense? Oh, it makes it very difficult. I mean, the quarterback is the one guy you can't account for in the running game. When you look at that box, you say most times you don't expect the quarterback to be in that count. And this is what I think has helped the Eagles become a much more dangerous team when running the football. When you look at their offense – and just look how it's been able to sustain drives and stay ahead of the chains. The running game has been a huge part of that. And certainly Jalen is a big part of that success because you got to account for Jalen's off script plays, right? When there's a pass called and he decides that there's nothing open and he takes off and makes something happens. Like at the end of the game last week, those are the plays that a defense can't account for. Those are the types of plays that keeps the defensive coordinator up all night trying to figure out a way to stop it. And it just wears out a defense. Yeah. When you have a when you have the play completely stopped and then you have a Jalen Hurts with his skill set that he can go off script as Ike said and make a big play 
it really takes a lot out of the defense. Yeah, there were five third downs where he ran for first downs, and it's a backbreaker for the defense. How about Jordan Howard? This is a guy who was on the practice squad all year, and he comes in, as Nick Sirianni said, he's provided a spark for the offense. Just his running style and him sitting out for basically half the year jumping in, how impressive is that? I just love to see the way the guy plays. It's a no-nonsense style of playing. He gets downhill. When he gets to football, it's with bad intentions. He's going to go downhill. There's not much sideways. There's not much lateral. He might make one little wiggle, and then he's going forward. And if you get in the way, he will run you over. (laughs) And that's two things that we forget about with Jordan Howard, and I'm included in that. I'm guilty of it, is that, hey, this guy's a multi-thousand-yard rusher in this league, and he's only 26 years old. It's amazing. You think he's 30. Yeah, yeah. How many years? He's He's young, and I think his career has been rejuvenated. You know, sometimes when you have to step away from the game and you don't get the ball as much as you used to in the past, I think he's feeling like he's getting a second chance at his career in the NFL and he's making the most of it. I'm excited for him. He's decisive when he runs the football. He's a physical runner. He's what you need in between the tackles. It can only bode well for this offense moving forward. And, you know, Jonathan Gannon is trying to figure out what this defense does best. We saw a lot of zone coverage. There was more man. You saw the blitzing against the Chargers. Do you think he might marry some of that together going out to Denver when he gets to see the tape and figure out what can this defense do best? I expect this defense to come out and play with the same aggressive style they had the last two weeks. Now, obviously, Justin Herbert was able to take advantage of some situations. The Eagles lost some key contributors in that secondary. Big play slay Avante Maddox in the second half. That kind of handcuffs what a coordinator can do. But when they face this Bronco offense, it's not that Teddy Bridgewater can't get the ball down the field. I just think they want to have him play more of a QB managing type of football game. And I think that allows the defense to play close closer to the line of scrimmage. The safeties don't have to be as worried about the ball getting thrown over their heads, and I think it's going to allow Jonathan Gannon to dial up some different pressures that's going to give the Eagles the opportunity to be opportunistic and get some turnovers. Well, the Broncos are really physical at the line of scrimmage. They've got a very good offensive line. They run the ball extremely well. But you can't sleep on Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick on the outside. They both are 6'4 targets. They can get down the field. They can make plays down the field. Be sure to check out Eagles Game Plan. It goes up digitally on Friday across all Eagles digital channels. Or if you live in the Philadelphia area, check it out Sunday morning, NBC 10 at 10 a.m. So great stuff this week from Ben Fennell, from Tim Jenkins, from Greg Cosell earlier this week as well. Everybody, thanks so much to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings over with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the NovaCare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week week.